78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, The Little Alamo Airbnb, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, Wendy R. Bookery and Gifts, and Birdie House. Our in-kind sponsors are Willigan's Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Italian recording artist Adriano Celentano released a song that was intended to sound to its Italian audience as if it were sung in English spoken with an American accent. However, the lyrics were deliberately unintelligible gibberish, with the exception of the words, all right. Celentano's intention with the song was not to create a humorous novelty song, but to explore communication barriers. The intent was to demonstrate how English sounds to people who do not understand the language proficiently. In talking about the song, Celentano said, I thought that I would write a song which would only have its theme and the inability to communicate. And to do this, I had to write a song where the lyrics didn't mean anything. The track was a hit and it reached all the way up to number two on the charts and remained a hit in Europe through the 1970s. That's a fascinating concept that reminds us that songwriters aren't just writers of poetry or prose, but the musical part of what they're doing can be universally understood completely on its own, before the lyrics even form their meaning to the listener. You'll find this in visual art too, a gravitation to tonality, color, or composition where the theme is absent. Yet in music and songs, it has the distinct ability to speak a secret language where traditional language cannot go. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. I Characterized as old-school Austin troubadour by music writer Ronnie Narmer, Fletcher Clark is a prolific songwriter, influenced by Texas singer-songwriters for whom he has been the side man or a producer, as well as by his love of jazz, blues, Broadway, folk, Tin Pan Alley, bluegrass, R&B, Latin, country, western, rock, etc., he also draws influences from his longtime involvement with the Kerrville Folk Festival. In the 70s, his Texas show band Balcones Fault brought all of these music styles together for scores of sold-out shows in Austin's legendary concert hall, the Armadillo World Headquarters. Fletcher joined us here in the studio, and he and I had a great conversation about all of these things. I grew up in San Antonio, and I started playing... Um, Professionally, really, when, you know, when I was twelve, playing playing in little combos, we played at the uh, at the Air Force bases. A lot of Air Force bases in San Antonio. We play sock hops and stuff like that. And I played and played. Uh, took up bass then in my high school stage band. They needed a bass player, and so they pointed me to the bass, and they pointed me to the book, and they pointed me to the practice room, and that's how I became a bass player. Um, and then I went when I went to college. I went to college in a little little college in Massachusetts, and I studied classical composition there with a fellow who had himself studied with Paul Hindemith and Rayfon Williams and Walter Piston, all very established 20th century uh, composers. And from him, I got a very disciplined and deep study in, in theory and harmony and composition. And I was part of their honors composition program, although since I wasn't a music major, I didn't graduate that way. I was an economics major. And then I went to, after I got out of college, I went to Boston. I was a banker for two and a half years, but I started playing in folk clubs at Harvard Square. 
<laughs> and the bug got to me, and one day I just found myself quitting. <laughs> and I went down to Texas, back to Texas, came back to see my, my family and friends in San Antonio, my, my old music partner from college. We played in the folk circuit around New England. He was at the University of Texas, and he had presaged to some friends of his that his friend, the Boston banker, was coming down. And before I knew it, I was the business manager of Armadillo World Headquarters in Austin, Texas. That was in 1972. And they handed me a box of unopened bank statements and a box of receipts, and those were the books. And I was supposed to pull the books together. I didn't have the heart to tell them I didn't know anything about accounting, but, but undaunted, I pulled the, pulled the books together and got a payroll together, got some investors. Uh, we built a beer garden. Willie Nelson played. And the rest was history. <laughs> and I started a band there called Balcony Spalt, which was real popular for, it's kind of the house band throughout the 70s during the, at, at Armadillo. But that was also where I first ran into, uh, first played out the Kerrville Folk Festival, said in 1974, and fell in with Stephen Fromholtz, a great Texas singer-songwriter, later on to become Poet Laureate of Texas. And that was when I first got my introduction to working with songwriters, and that would become the dominant part of my career over the years. I worked with Frommels for 25 years, off and on, but also with Bobby Bridger, with um, Rusty Weir, RIP. Frommels has also gone. A lady by the name of Dee Moeller, Rick Beresford, uh, Gary Nunn, Gary P. Nunn. Never had the joy of playing with Jerry Jeff. Managed to miss that one. <laughs> B.W. Stevenson, you know, all, the, all these nice old dead guys. <laughs> so when you were in New England playing, were you playing other people's songs, but you... How, what was that? Like? Oh, that we were a duo. It was really weird too, because our our idols were Sonny Cherry and Brandy McGee. So here were these two two white guys from San Antonio playing country blues, and uh, which kind of I mean, talk about white guy playing the blues. We were it, and no less than Dave Bromberg took us to task on that. We were we were at at, at Bromberg's apartment down in in New York. It was a kind of an audience that he had granted us. And we played for him a little while, and he said, that's terrible. You know, you, I love you guys when, you, when you're doing your country stuff and when you're doing your rancheras. My, my partner sang really fluent Spanish, so we did a lot of Mexican tunes. And he said, you're sitting there in your Weegans and, and, your, and, your, and your, your sweaters and, and your Ivy League stuff. You know, it just doesn't work for me to, to hear you singing country blues. <laughs> it's like that Coen Brothers movie they made about that. Songwriter, did you did you see that a couple years ago? Yes. He's <laughs> like, you don't have it, kid. No. <laughs> said, do I, not I, play I'm, the blues. I'm pretty sensitive to that. I mean, I love the blues, and I, I just it, I don't have that quality about me. It's fascinating that you were came back to Texas right at the time when something like the armadillo was happening, and that was the I think the early '70s was the time that you know Willie Nelson came to Texas mm -hmm. right and started what became his second part of his career, I guess, mm -hmm. and and also Waylon and those guys. And I guess, what was that? That was That's now classic country, but it, at the time it wasn't. No, it wasn't at all. I mean, they were literally shunned. I mean, country at that time was Chet Atkins, Nashville. It was strings and the sweet sound and stuff like that. And they wanted stuff that was raw and, and sounded more like, um, less like the studio and more like a live recording. And that's not what the radio programmers wanted. That's not what the, the, the guys that sell records wanted. Uh, they wanted something that would sound better in an elevator. And, and Waylon doesn't sound very good in an elevator, truth be known. But those guys love to play live. They love to come to the Armadillo because of the, the, the crowd. And I guess that was where I got my first introduction to that. I'd never, you know, I grew up around rock and roll. Uh, certainly it was always there. But it was always not quite very interesting. I was a jazz aficionado. I love jazz. That's what I mostly jazz and swing and Broadway and stuff like that. So I liked things that had more to them than just, you know, three chords. And I had a theatrical background, so I understood the concept of audience and, and performer interaction. But in theater, of course, you're up there and the audience is observing you. You're not really interacting directly with the audience. When you're playing songs to people, particularly if they later on I found out when they're your own songs, and you're interacting with them, it's actually their participation in your song that makes 
that, that is the content of what's going on in that situation. And I found there were certain people that loved that. Van Morrison would keep coming back to Armadillo, even though it was the least amount of money he'd make any time on any of his tours. Frank Zappa would start his tours at Armadillo because it would be the last time his, uh, his players would be able to see their audience. From then on, it would be arenas where they'd be so far away they'd have no idea. People like Willie, people like uh, uh, like Graham Parsons, people people like Amy Lou Harris, got that part of it that they wanted to interact with an audience. That was the place to be. It's no accident then that Armadillo is where they shot the pilot for Austin City Limits, which I emceed by the way. I was surprised to find that years later when I when I saw the footage of the pilot. Here was this guy in a tuxedo with long hair and a straw hat. And it was me, I was the MC for that day. I completely blotted that out of my memory. Um, <laughs> but when they constructed the Austin City Limit stage, the whole idea was to get the cameras out of the way so that the audience was right there with the performers. And to this day still, even though it's very different than it was in those days, and, um, that's still the hallmark of it is that the people that play that show say, we're never going to have another opportunity to do a video performance that's just interactive. Once you get that bug, well, I don't have to preach to you, you know. <laughs> Once you have that experience of really being at one with your audience, there's nothing better. No, that's true. That's <laughs> true. I've, I've, I love the way that you put that, that, that the, the real meat of what's happening is the unspoken exchange between the artist and the audience. Like there's a song going on, but the audience is leaning into it and reacting with that. And that is is sort of the, is I, that, that's what you're saying, right? It is. I, yeah. I kind of joke about this. I, I Part of me that enjoys being a performer is being an amateur anthropologist. I feel like I'm Marvin Perkins from the Wild Kingdom sitting in a blind by a watering hole, observing the behaviors. Because a lot of people in the audience think they're watching television. It never occurs to them that somebody's looking back. So they're, they're completely ingenuous in their behaviors. We're singing a song to them. And you look in somebody's eyes and you can tell that they've got it. And they're all of a sudden, their energy is coming back to you as the singer. Because they're participating in the moment that, that, you, that you're offering. And, oh, that's wonderful. But what's really neat What's really neat is when I observe that the person sitting next to that person is feeding off of that interaction. Because then all of a sudden, it's become a shared experience, a moment among people. And sure enough, to this day, somebody will stop me and say, do you remember that night at the Armadillo? And then they will give some incredibly detailed recollection of their experience. And I'll think back and say, as a matter of fact, I do remember that night. And that's, I, that's not my experience, but I can sure tell it was yours. When did you come to Lockhart? Because you were, you were in Austin for a while. I was in Austin for a long time. From 1972, the only time I was not in Austin was a two-year, two-and-a-half-year span when I took the Balcones Fault to California to see if we were going to make it, and it didn't take us long to find out that we weren't. <laughs> and so we just we pulled the plug, and I came back. And when I came back to the Armadillo by then... The things were cooking again, and I came back to take over all of the uh, the marketing and advertising part of it, as well as kind of overseeing the the emerging label and doing a lot of the recording in, in the studio. And that was really when I got my studio chop, when my engineering chops came together. I taught for ten years at Austin Community College. I taught the audio production program there. <laughs> One of my students would ask me, "Say, do, do you work a lot as an engineer?" And I said, "No, not really. I don't like musicians all that much." <laughs> But I'd love the and we were just saying the one thing I miss I really miss is I'm, I really miss being able to, to talk nerd talk to other engineers and you know and audio nerds <laughs> I just love that stuff. <laughs> but I came to Lockhart I was kind of burned out in in Austin and I didn't want to be one of those people that just kind of walked around and said well it isn't the way I remember it being because okay I'm there's nothing wrong with these people I'm in the wrong band so I quit the band. And I came down to Lockhart where I had a couple of friends and already. I wasn't here for very long before I realized that if, if I were going to try to do anything as a songwriter, it was going to be like trying to sell escargot in a barbecue town. It would be an acquired taste. 
Well, one night, my friend, we talked about my, our friend Donnelly Bryce, uh, a local historian and, and wonderful fellow. He was uh, he took me to the library, to the old Eugene Clark, Dr. Eugene Clark Library, where a friend of his, an author, was giving a presentation on his new book. And he was talking about how he had written it, how he'd researched it, what his process was. And I thought, hmm. So I went to the library director, Bertha Martinez, and I said, Bertha, could I have an evening where I could talk about songwriting as a literary form? And she said, well, yeah, if you think anybody would come. And I said, well, I don't know if anybody would come, but I'll do it, and I can get a few friends there, and I did. And I thought, you know, this is a good idea. There was a, there was a long-time, long-running cable TV show called Inside the Actor's Studio by James Lipton, where he would have actors, directors, writers come and talk about their works. Because he was a pretty informed fellow himself, the interviews would be very deep, uh, not, not at all superficial. And I thought, well, I can do that. And so I started doing that. I, started, I had went to my Rolodex, or what we used to call a Rolodex, and pulled up a bunch of songwriters' names and started inviting people to come to Evenings with the Songwriter, where we would discuss or explore the art and craft of songwriting. And after, after the first few stumbling efforts, then some uh, Donnelly and, and, and my friend Todd, Todd Blomerth and some other people uh, uh, put up some money so that I could offer a modest honorarium to my guests and pay me a little bit for, you know, the, the hours of, of producing it. And it became something that I did uh, on the last Tuesday of every month. And this 2023 season is the 11th season. Man, that's, and that's over good. that time, there's been six, so close to 90 singer-songwriters who've been my guests. Many of them names that no one would know, but, but many of them names that they might know. They might know Susan Gibson, or they might know Butch Hancock, or they might know Shake Russell, they might know Christine Albert, uh, they might know Stephen Collins, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter to me whether they're known or not, because I'm interested in that person and what he or she has experienced and, and how that manifests itself in their music and then conversely how their music has affected their perspective on, on the world around them. I just find that fascinating and everybody's different. It starts as a first person experience or, or expression and what you hope will be the case is that it becomes a third person experience when the listener is able to participate in it. And now you know, as a as a recording producer, that th that's the real trick. I mean, your whole role as a producer is how do I represent everybody else, so that what this singer, what this artist has to say, is heard and and received and and uh, and accepted by by the listener. And that's the craft of what good good producers do, whether it's done with arrangements or with rewrites or with, you know, wall of sound or, you know, or bare minimum or whatever, whatever styles you use to make that happen. But the thing that's upstream of that, the pure creative end of, of writing the songs, having been around a lot of songwriters, I really enjoy that. You know, there was, there was an organization in Austin called the Music Umbrella of Austin that was active in the 80s. And we ran something called the Austin Song uh, Writers Competition. Because I was uh, a board member and then a vice president and then the president and the executive director consecutively, over the course of a few years, I listened to about 3,000 songs. <laughs> In addition to the ones that I was listening to with Fromholtz and Bridger and Rusty Weir and all of, you know, the, all the usual suspects. But I really got a sense of what, of what that kind of songwriting was all about and why Texas songwriters were different than songwriters from other parts of the world. Can you kind of, um, did you find sort of a synopsis, a nutshell of what that is? There's a willingness to be less formal. There's a willingness to be idiomatic and yet grammatical, or conversely, to be ungrammatical and yet poetic. Towns Van Sant, for example, best example I can think of. So uh, I approached two friends of mine, uh, Talia Bryce, who is now the installed permanently as the executive director of Old Settlers Music Festival, which is permanently has found its permanent home in eastern Caldwell County, 
Uh, and Stony Gable, a young local songwriter who's very enthusiastic, good songwriter, and was already doing uh, a radio show and a podcast where he would interview songwriters. Very different in style than, than I might, for example, but with the same kind of appetite and curiosity about what people, what people were saying and how they were going about it. So anyway, they're going to take it over next year. And, and it will be formally sponsored by, by LAMA, by the Lockhart Area Music Association, and by Old Settlers Music Festival. And I think that's great, because that means that something which started in Lockhart is of Lockhart, stays in Lockhart in Caldwell County with people who are, are, are the future. My guest in a couple of weeks will be uh, uh, Lynn McCracken. I met her out at the Kerrville Folk Festival, and she's got all of this wonderful, youthful enthusiasm of someone who's just started writing songs within the last few years. And so uh, that kind of that kind of, of of young enthusiasm, combined with a rather articulate manner, she's a quite thoughtful person. Oh, that's going to be good. Yeah. Well, Fletcher, I really appreciate your time and coming in, and it's fascinating to hear this whole line of great things you were got to do you know that there's so many people that went came still come to austin looking for that you know and you were there you know and then you've brought all that expertise and love of the music to, to lockhart with the show to have a home for songwriters to talk about their craft and we i i appreciate it as a songwriter and i want people to know that it's there and to go and be a part of it by your doorstep Saw your lamplight glow Sort of feeling down and down Feeling sadly low Thought of our discussions Thought of times at school Wondered if you just might spare A cup of hope for a fool once I had a family, I drove them all away. All my friends have left me, except for you, you stay. Took a chance by stopping, wouldn't break no rule. Took a chance you just might spare, a cup of hope for a fool. They stayed, took a chance you'd listen, damn the ridicule, took a chance you just might spare, a cup of hope for a fool, just the thing for my despair, a cup of hope for a fool. Fletcher Clark will be hosting his next songwriter, Greg Whitfield, on June 27th at 7 p.m. at the historic Dr. Eugene Clark Library. The 11th season of Evenings with the Songwriters schedule can be found at eveningswiththesongwriter.com. And as always, this is free to the public. Ryan Quiet is a songwriter, a singer-songwriter, uh, who works with his own band, and um, he's also a venue owner. Uh, Lockhart's not the only town that's been growing over the last couple of years. Martindale has been growing as well. And Ryan and his wife have had a venue there and hosted lots of songwriters from Lockhart and, and the surrounding area in Texas. And they've been slowly working on a much bigger venue um, from an old historic building there. So Ryan stopped by 
to play some songs and to talk about his work and to talk about what they've done in Martindale and what they plan to do. I've always been into music growing up. I grew up in church, a lot of church, like there like four times a week. Um, my parents sang, uh, they played, a, my dad played a little bit of guitar, but it wasn't ever really more about the instruments. It was more just about singing and choir and stuff like that. So we grew up in that aspect of church. And as we grew older, um, this church was also like a non-denominational non and like very much into their music. And it was like a rock show. And so that inspired a lot of it. And they were very open to us, you know, playing electric guitars and playing drums loud. And so they, that it was very much a instigator in music. Um, but it wasn't always like my passion or anything like that. And, um, but as I got older, I was always just into music, obviously, and loved music. And I would write poems and stuff through high school and um, into my short-lived college experience. Now I'm into goth metal, um, which is a whole nother experience. Um, and I, I think that's because most of us as musicians, like you, you do get bored. You know, you're like, oh, I did that. You know, now I want to keep pushing the boundaries or, of what I am capable of doing. Or And a lot of that as a songwriter ha has changed a lot of how I write songs. And I'm not really tied to one way or the other. I played in a band with my brother for about 10 years through my 20s um, called Bird Dog. We were a little two-piece band. Um, and then later on, we moved to Nashville for a few years and added a couple guys. And then we came back to Austin and uh, kept doing it. And then we finally, that started kind of fading away and doing other stuff. And I just hadn't ever like started my own project and done my own songs. I was always more so backing up other people and stuff like that, just like wanting to play gigs. So this has been like in the last six years, like my first like real attempt at being my own musician and seeing where that kind of goes. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, it's definitely been transforming and changing through the last six years. And I've got a great group of guys that, that I play with right now and uh, a handful of them I grew up with in, in New Braunfels. I love country music. I love old country music, 70s, 80s, 90s stuff. Um, but then, you know, I love like spacey music and 80s rock and stuff. And so I try to blend a lot of that kind of stuff. People always ask what genre you are. And I hate that question because I'm like, I, I don't really know. But it, I call it indie country because I like to think that there's a, a little bit of all these influences in there. I do tend to play uh, honky tonks and dives and stuff like that. So, you know, the people that are watching you, you trying to get them to find you interesting. And usually that means covering a song to you know bridge that gap with them. But at the same time, if I'm going to cover this song and I'm not a jukebox either, like, you know, I'm not that band either where the people walk up like, oh, you know, this song, play that song kind of thing. It's like we worked on picking these covers and then we also re rearranged in some ways, but it's more of just rearranging the vibe of them and, and the feeling. And we definitely get more psychedelic, I guess, is another word of what we do with some things too. And, you know, a lot of this ties into the fact that I owned a business for the last almost four years. And so my time was very little of what I, I had to pick it, be choosy of what I could do and couldn't do. And which I think just helped create a, a better, healthier um, uh, mindset for me when it came to like what I'm doing on stage and being more mindful of what I'm doing. Is it, is it because you were, it was because you were in that space and it was separate from work? And is Yeah, that, that was my, that, it was definitely my uh, way of getting out of that life. And, and not a bad way. I, I think it's just, everybody has their ways of, you know, not dealing with their responsibilities or whatever, but um, well, it's taking a break from it. Too. Yeah, taking a break from it, right. and 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 so that was like the way I did it, and it still is. I mean, it's I I miss it because it's it's my opportunity to. Once you're on stage, it's like 
nothing else. You can't think of anything else other than what we're about to do, you know, and and I, I always like to think about the band, too. I, I'm a band-centered person. I, it's, even though it says Ryan Quiet on there, like, I, I really want my my band members to be enjoying themselves and not feel like they're just taking a gig, you know, that it's, um, we're collectively doing something together as a team. Being in, in Martindale, for people that don't know, we're in Lockhart right now, and, and Martindale is not far. It's about 10 minutes on the river, and we've been out there for the last, you know, handful of years with the business. And so we kind of knew where we were going and, and what, you know, even what got us to buy and start a business in Martindale in the first place was life comes at you fast when you get married and you have a kid and you're like, okay, well, how are we going to, what, what are we going to do to create this life for us? You know, that's, bigger than ourselves you know I think that's what we thought is like we always wanted something bigger than ourselves and um for you know from where she was coming from the stuff that she had been doing um you know from interior design set design in the music world especially um music event worlds and and I worked in kitchens and managed a spot and so we kind of just were like okay well then it seems like we need to create something that's is what we would want to do somewhere we'd want to hang. And we just loved that aspect of uh, community and, and creating that in a small town. And so that's the way that it came with Martindale, like the cafe and everything. Like it was very wild the way that it all just fell into each other. And then we ended up there and, and being at this point now, it's all been part of this, just being good to people and being part of supporting this community um, has led us to this point. All these opportunities have only happened because of, just believing in the community and being, and a lot of these people are family now, you know, it's like Martindale's a, a cool place. It's very special. And um, that's been a big drive in all of it. Um, but so between, you know, running the cafe for the last few years, and then, you know, we obviously sold it at the beginning of this year, but um, because of that, another, uh, our one of our partners who bought a building downtown, um, and was is restoring it. Approached us and asked if we be interested in um, opening up a business on the bottom floor. And it was at one of those times where we were realizing like we needed to grow. Like we, it was time for us to we need to be a bigger, get a bigger spot, or you know expand, or however we could. And so it kind of all just worked out. And so we're working, looking at this building now. And it's um, it was. Uh, I'll give you all some information about. The building is, it was originally built in 1924 as a Hubmobile dealership and garage. And so it was that for about 10 years. And then it's been, it was multiple different things. Uh, the telephone company was in there at one point, um, just, a, just a gas station. And then people stayed in it through like throughout the, like the 70s and 80s. Like someone rented it um, and let people just live in like the, top floor or something like that. But um, it's been vacant for a while, probably since the early 90s. So the history is awesome. And and our partners are doing an amazing job of restoring this and making this a historic landmark. So we're going to do a full bar, which is the first liquor in Martindale since 1882. It's kind of like a big thing for us is like bringing in that, that opportunity, I guess, to Martindale to help build up Martindale and start bringing, you know, commerce, starting to bring people in there. But we have a pretty big space. It's about 3,500 square feet. Uh, we'll have a full kitchen. Um, we have a chef coming in, full bar, and then, we'll, you know, wanting to be a premier music venue is has always been the central focus between, like, me and my wife. It was like, I, I'm in music. She's a part of music. Like, we've always wanted to create an atmosphere of, of bringing in artists, you know, and, and just being true to the artist, like being an artist hangout, uh, creating a space that they want to be at, you know, because sometimes we can't offer everything that some of these other places can, you know, the bigger name venues in Austin or San Antonio or, you know, your Green Hall, your, you know, uh, floors, you know, like we just don't have what they have is they've been around for, you know, decades and stuff like that. But um to be relevant in in, th in this game nowadays, I think is more just how we 
treat and view the artists and and what we're doing and so i agree Amen, um, yeah that's you know I, I felt like we did that at the cafe too like it was Very always much. about just making them feel at home and that you know this is all it's all cool it's all chill i grew up in new braunfels so like growing up in a river town and growing up on the river is always something that like i've gone other places and i'm like oh i, I see why people come here and don't leave it's because there's nothing there's not a whole lot of places like this and so to find martindale which reminds me a lot of uh like maybe green um 30 or 40 years ago kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was um, going to say. I think that's kind of the opportunity there where we see like, you know, enjoy it now while we can. And we can enjoy it in 30, 40 years, but it's going to look a little different and it's going to be a little bit different. But these are the moments right now that we'll look back and be like, man, that was really cool what we what we did and what we tried to do. And, um, and then just to know that there are people there that are going to support us and, and love us and so it's like it's a really special thing and it's it's definitely a family type thing out there in Martindale. Yeah, sitting on the front porch swing. Listen to June birds singing May. Ain't no place that I'd rather be than Here in the heat of a Texas spring Here in the heat of a Texas spring Yeah, we're swimming in the river all day Talking to girls, loading, laying in the shade Didn't have much, but we always had enough Out in the rays of a Texas sun out in the rays of the Texas sun Yeah, I'm coming down To that Lone Star State Cause everybody knows my face And know my name And I'm coming home I remember the island And I remember how slow Life would move Got a six pack and we're sitting on our ass Ain't nothing left that I'd rather do You underneath this Texas moon You underneath this Texas moon Yeah, I'm coming down To that Lone Star State Well, everybody knows my face and know my name I'm coming home I remember the island And I remember how slow Life would move When I always knew That I'd be losing you Yeah, I left my love Yeah, I left my love Yeah, I left my love In a lone star state Which left my heart Attention all hat lovers. 
you are cordially invited to a once-in-a-lifetime celebration of the master hatter himself, David Torres, at Texas Hatters. If you own a hat crafted by David, this is a can't-miss event. Join us on July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. at Texas Hatters to celebrate the incredible skills and talent of one of the world's most renowned hatters. Bring your David Torres hat and mix and mingle with other hat enthusiasts while enjoying mouth-watering barbecue from Kreitz Market. But the fun doesn't stop there. We're also calling on all musicians who own a David Torres hat to get in touch with Texas Hatters at 512-398-4287 for a chance to perform at the event. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to showcase your talent and entertain fellow hat aficionados. So mark your calendars, grab your David Torres hat, and get ready for a day of fun, food, and festivities at Texas Hatters. We can't wait to see you there. Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. Lockhart has become a destination outside of Austin. I think people from San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston are starting to learn about Lockhart. It's not just about barbecue, it's also about live music, um, it's about art, it's about a community that's coming together and there's a lot of excitement on the square. I purchased this house in 2021 and I loved it because it has great architecture. It was built in 1925. During the 1960s, it was purchased by Marcus Haynes, who is a Harlem Globetrotter. There is a garage apartment next door to it as well. And it has kind of a New Orleans feel look to it. We put ferns out, it has the wrought iron. Both of these properties sit on a third of an acre, just off the square in Lockhart. What are you waiting for? Book your stay at the Little Alamo B&B in Lockhart, Texas, like today. There's a new art gallery opening in town at the offices of the Lockhart Post-Register newspaper. The gallery is called the Lockhart Post-Gallery, and uh, it's opening with artist Beast Syndicate exhibition, Heck Yeah!, is the name of the exhibition, and it will open at the Lockhart Post Gallery on first Friday. The gallery is called the Lockhart Post Gallery. Um, so I started last year as the advertising director for the newspaper, the Lockhart Post Register, um, for Dana Garrett, who's the owner and the publisher of the paper. And this is the old, where the gallery sits, is the old 125-year-old press room. So this used to be where they used to print the paper back in the 1890s. Um, and it was just, it was an office supply and had been a warehouse and some other things over the years. And when I started last year, it was really just full of stuff and uh, some old presses, but a lot of junk. And um, I'm an artist myself and Dana had offered, hey, if you clean the space out, you can use it as a studio. And so I did. And I don't think he thought that I was actually going to do it, um, but I did. I cleaned it out. And then I think he saw the potential for it, you know, and um, being an artist and everything, he was like, well, what do you think about opening a gallery? And, uh, you know, there's several galleries in town already, but Lockhart has kind of become a destination for music and starting to become one for art. It's already the barbecue capital. And so we said, yeah, let's do it, you know. And really the objective of the gallery is to be, you know, an artist-run space, so artist-forward, artist-friendly. So we try to take a minimal commission, focus on emerging and mid-career artists to give them an opportunity to have solo shows, which are hard to come by as artists, um, and really just push them and allow them to have the space and do what they want with it and show their work how they want. That's, that's cool. So it's, it's sort of a permanent space now for that, I suppose. It is. Yeah. As of right now, we plan on, you know, running this thing as long as we can. So, um, as of right now, it's a permanent space. We did have a soft opening in April for the sip and stroll. Um, that went really well. Um, but we're really excited to open with, uh, Jeremy Thompson, who's beast syndicate and, uh, his work is fantastic. And it, it kind of goes, real well with the print tradition of the newspaper being in the old press room and being print focused. So we're excited. I came to the US in 2000 and I spent 13 years in North Carolina. And um, then I was in Michigan for two years and then I've been in Texas about seven. I've always been inspired by the look of screen printing, uh, like gig posters um, and skateboard graphics, that kind of thing. Uh, I, like, I like the inconsistencies and the sort of the, the grime, as it were, uh, of that. Um, 
but I'm, I'm self-taught graphic designer, so I, I don't have fine art skills. I, I'm not very good at drawing. Um, so when I was looking to get off the computer and do some work that galleries would want to show, um, I took up screen printing as a way to kind of create originals rather than digital prints, that kind of thing. So the name came out of a uh, collaboration with uh, Black Sheep Skate Shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, we were going to do a collaboration uh, line of T-shirts for the skate shop. And since it was called Black Sheep, I kind of came up with the idea of Beast as uh, just a kind of somewhat connected, but not quite. Um, and it was... It's just a fun word. Uh, it was back before everything. Now, now it's a much more uh, widely used word as far as uh, in streetwear. It's really, I call it my studio moniker. Um, so I'm available for client projects. So I do a lot of brand development, T-shirt design, um, murals, that kind of thing for client projects. And then um, also developing a collection of work, artwork for galleries. The work consists of screen prints, some prints on canvas, and then uh, also conge prints, which is a print process which I've been um, trying to develop partly from a practical point of view. You need a lot less equipment and a lot less space compared to screen printing. and it still affords me the opportunity to have work that looks like a screen print. It's got the inconsistencies of a screen print, and yet I can get really fine detail. But I don't have all the space of having 100 screens in storage or you know, washout rooms. And in essence, it's an image transfer that uh, you may have done at like, art school or an art class where um, you use um, a laser printer printout. You use an acrylic medium to transfer that toner from the paper carrier sheet to your media. So the, the toner from the, that's, that was printed by the laser machine um, is then pulled onto the... Generally, for me, I'm using a wood panel. Use pressure and an acrylic medium, matte medium, and let it rest overnight. And then if all goes well, you can peel it off. Some of the detail, you can really get very fine detail, which I enjoy trying to get lots of detail and yet losing some of it in a random way. Say some of the pattern backgrounds and stuff sort of disappear and come back. And um, a lot of that's just purely the randomizing of the print process. The, uh, interest for me was the um, the distressing of the street art over time, you know, and the look of torn paper and layers of different print stuff, like a collage. Heck Yeah is a design I came up with. Uh, pretty soon after moving here, I found that uh, Texans, understandably, are very proud of being Texan. And so including Texas in some way in my art often drew attention. Um, so I came up with this heck yeah uh, mascot uh, of the state shape and um, I've been using that for several years now and then it just seemed to work as, as a sort of a, this is probably my biggest solo show um, so it's almost like a I'm here in Texas kind of opening as it were um, and Lockhart itself seems to be a quintessential Texan town. So yeah, just I was just like, yeah, I think that works as a name, and um, and without having to, you know, not all the pieces are about Texas, but it's all. Uh, I think the the graphic that um, we used for the show is kind of demonstrates what people can expect, whether that's uh, vintage. Uh, commercial drawings or collage patterns. Generally, these patterns, especially the illustrated patterns, are stuff that I've made myself. I don't really have an illustration background. Um, I, it's more, uh, I use a lot of found imagery that I customize. So, um, you know, I make it mine by 
by tweaking it to my purposes. And then for the patterns, I find that, you know, it might be some random piece, you know, one block from a comic book that nobody gives a second thought to, but I've put it in a pattern and all of a sudden it's got some visual interest yeah, uh, as a background, you know. Kind of like visual sampling. Yeah, I, I see, I see uh, a lot, uh, you know, a lot of my, in, my musical taste is, uh, is sampling and I see that uh, visually, I feel that that's kind of a lot of what I do. Again, Beast Syndicate's exhibition, Heck Yeah, will open at the Lockhart Post Gallery on first Friday. Hope to see you there. This is Annalisa Hinterclyden with another episode of Tricks in the Kitchen. One question on the minds of many who live in barbecue country is what to do with all those leftover pork rib bones. Well, for those with infants in the house, here's a helpful hint. If you have crib-age babies, I don't have to tell you that providing for those little buggers can cost a pretty penny these days. So here's a way to keep the little ones happy, distracted, and out of your hair, and also support your local restaurants at the same time. All you need is a couple of wire coat hangers, some fishing line, and half a dozen rib bones to make a mobile to hang over your infant's crib. Just spray paint the ribs in different colors and string them from the coat hangers. Not only will the child be distracted while you watch Wheel of Fortune, but the ribs will help instill a natural hunger for meat products. No baby who had a pork rib mobile over the crib has ever been known to become a vegan. Now you just try arguing with that. Not recommended for families with hound dogs. This is Annalisa Hinterclyden saying tune in next time for Tricks in the Kitchen when we will answer the question, are double yolk eggs a sign of witchcraft? Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page and daily in our stories called The Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644 Podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to go to find out when our next episode is out. We also want to remind people about our 78644 Locals program. It's a $5 or more a month subscription that all proceeds go directly to musicians. Our 78644 May event will actually be this Friday, June 2nd. Fort Worth singer-songwriter Jacob Furr will be kicking off first Friday at Best Little Wine and Books. Sign up today and you will be put on the invite list, receive an ad-free listening experience, and given a password-protected playlist from the podcast. Sign up at 78644podcast.com and click on subscribe. Sign up for a reoccurring donation of $5 or more, and as always, don't forget to tip the band. Friday, June 2nd is First Friday. Old Pal will have Roy Heinrich from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will have Seasons Ammons Trio. That's 8 to 10 p.m. Commerce Hall will have Keith Terry Comedy. Everybody Loves Love is the show. That's $25 at the door. The Gaslight Baker Theater will have the Vaudeville Enchanted Forest starting at 8 p.m. The Martindale River Cafe will have Daniel Thomas Phipps starting at 8 and it goes to 10 p.m. Saturday, June 3rd, Old Pal will have Sidetracked. That's their residency. 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Commerce Hall will have South Texas Tweak. That's $10 at the door. The show starts at 7 and uh, music starts at 8 Gaslight Baker Theater, Vaudeville, will have the Enchanted Forest show going on. That's 8 p.m. And the Martindale River Cafe will have Cassie Daniels and Friends. Sunday, June 4th, the Pearl will have Candace Hastings from 3 to 5 p.m. That's a matinee. The Gaslight Baker Theater will have the Vaudeville show, Enchanted Forest. That's the matinee at 2 p.m. Martindale River Cafe will have the Shrimp Boil Birthday Bash with the Ditch Crickets. They start from 12 to 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and then Ryan Quiet will play from 2.30 to 4 p.m. Wednesday, June 7th, the Pearl will have singer-songwriter Stony Gable from 7 to 9 p.m., 
And Best Little Wine and Books will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, June 8th, Old Pal will have Brock Maccarelli starting from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And El Ray will have Karaoke Night. Friday, June 9th at Old Pal, Jamie Kruger will be playing. 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will have David Isley Band from 8 to 10 p.m. Commerce Hall will have Hillbilly National Bank. That's $10 at the door. Doors open at 7. The music starts at 8. Lodoff Fannies will have Two Bins and a Bear at 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. And the Martindale River Cafe will have Evan Charles starting at 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, June 10th, the Art House will have uh, Tim Schmidt, Rotesh Rayo, and Robert Lynn. The show is from 4 to 8 p.m. Old Pal will have the Dustin Welsh Residency from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will have Jams with Jenny from 7.30 to 9.30. Martindale River Cafe will have Kelsey Ray Copeland and David Gideon, 8 to 10 p.m. June 11th, The Pearl will have the W.C. Clark Matinee, that's 3 to 5 p.m. Wednesday, June 14th, Old Pal will have Parker Chapin Presents Chicken Fried Steak Night. Starts at 7, goes to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have singer-songwriter Chris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. And Best Little Wine and Books will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, June 15th, Old Pal will have Landon Hoffman. 7 to 9 p.m. And the Pearl will have an open mic night from 7 to 9 p.m. The sign-up starts at 6.30 p.m. And that's it for 78644 News. And I'm in to make it pay A boat pulled up beside me All covered in brown moss through his innate storytelling ability, musicianship, and collaborative spirit, Jacob Furr consistently produces work that resonates with listeners across all age group and multiple genres. In addition to a local music residency in Fort Worth, Furr is known as a consummate collaborator and supports other talented musicians and bands in the Americana, blues, and rock genres. I was able to speak with Jacob by Zoom call and uh, discuss his new single, what he's been up to? I started off taking piano when I was a kid, like everybody kind of does. Um, and then I told my mom that I wanted to play guitar instead. And so she uh, she basically said, "Okay, you're gonna you, like that's fine, but you got to do it the right way," quote unquote. So I took classical guitar lessons for years. I mean, like forever. Took classical guitar and played like nylon string guitar for a long time. Um, and then just sort of transitioned out of that around like high school, you know, like play, still played some classical, but played like, you know, got my first like steel string guitar, um, around then, and then started writing songs. I was actually talking to some people this weekend about when we started writing songs. And, uh, yeah, I think my first, the first time I wrote a song was probably like 19 or 20. I think that was when I first like thought, oh, I can do this. And ever since then I've been doing it. So yeah, I've been releasing stuff since 2008, I guess. I used to play with the band all the time. And then the guys in that band, um, got picked up by some other people. So, and they're, I mean, they play with a lot of folks, so they were, they're, they're out on the road a bunch. So I've just been doing a bunch of solo stuff as of late, um, which I'm really enjoying. I like, I, I really, really like being in the car by myself. So that's kind of, it's been kind of nice to just like tool around and do my own thing and, you know, sort of be, be free. So, but I do love playing with the band. They're super fun and they're great. And I love that. I love, I love playing with lots of different people. So I do both. Like what's kept me going. I mean, cause you know, you have so many setbacks when you do it, especially like doing it in the age of, um, when all the pandemic stuff shut everything down. And like a lot of people sort of said, oh, I'm good. You know, number one, I've always been fascinated by music and I feel a great sense of accomplishment. Like, mentally when I can put something together and learn something new musically. So that curiosity will, is always there. But I think the like trying to do it as a career, like I've been doing it for so long, a lot of the reason that I do it is like the people that I get to hang out with and talk with. And like the conversations that I have are just the best conversations. And so there's a, I don't know, there's a desire to like hang out with people and talk with people that sort of music opens up um, in a lot of ways, if that makes any sense at all. No, <laughs> That's what I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, I think it, it's yeah, it's this, it's the, it's that that connection to other people that sort of like it just makes you want to do more of it. I guess I don't know. I feel like to be gifted with music, you know, like to be able to play it um, and put it together well and honestly. I don't know. I think it, it's a really unique thing and it's a really special thing. And it feels really good to be sort of like given that gift and to be able to like give it back to people and have them connect with, with what at the time felt maybe like a mystical sort of thing happening when you wrote the song or whatever. That song I wrote, it's called Take Care and it just came out, um, I guess this past month. I did like a Bandcamp release and then a Spotify release. So sort of trying to play both sides of the aisle there. But that's been a song, like I wrote that song while I was dog sitting for somebody. And I, I say it like it's a joke when I play that song, but like I wrote it while I was watching um, the American Pickers on the History Channel, like they had this marathon going. And so I was dog sitting and I was just watching the show. And the first line of the song is take care of the things that get left behind. And that sort of like came to me while I was watching that show and just sort of like followed that little trail down of like taking care of things. Um, and now that I've released it, like, I mean, I wrote that song a while back. I don't even remember when it was. That must've been four or five years ago. Um, but now that I've finally released it, like it's been, people have had like really emotional, uh, experiences with it. Like it's been really beautiful to like play it and, and feel people like really connect to it on an emotional level. But it's a beautiful song. I'm really, I'm really happy with it. And I, I love that song a whole lot. And I'm really happy that people are yeah, people are feeling it. It's making them think of their family and their friends and, and how much they love people. So, yeah, it's been a good thing. I guess one of my first, like, things that I started putting out um, was this album called Trails and Traces, like, way back in, like, 2013 or 14, um, which feels like a long time ago now. Yeah, that was sort of born out of this, like, very traumatic and tragic experience that I had gone through. As I've been working on that project, like, I put that album out and then another album after that and then I have another one coming out there's this sort of like cycle to all three of them that i've discovered i didn't intend it but i sort of discovered it it's like really hard to talk about these things it makes me really happy that people are finding like the space to connect with those things in these songs but in me like trying to be as honest as i can about you know how how things feel when they fall apart and trying to put them back together Take care of the things that get left behind. Don't let them fall beneath the dust of time. Cause the darkness comes without. The darkness comes within. And it'll try to take everything you've been given. And take care of the dreams. Give them water, set them out in the sunlight Cause the darkness comes without The darkness comes within And it'll try to take everything you've been Comes without the darkness, comes within, and 
it'll try to take everything you've been given so take care take care take Jacob Furr will be playing at Best Little Wine and Books tonight, June 2nd at 6 p.m. It's also our 78644 hang, so if you're a subscriber, come on out and hang, and Kay will take care of you. If you're not a subscriber, come and find out what it's all about. 78644 is sponsored by Texas Hatters, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, The Little Alamo Airbnb, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, and Birdie House. Our in-kind sponsors are Wilgins Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound here in Lockhart, Texas, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, and Danny Manning, in-studio performances by Ryan Quiet and Fletcher Clark, other music by Jacob Furr and Adriano Celentano. Thanks for listening. I breathe my last as I tell my tale.